We will have adult Sunday school. We'll try and shoot for around 11.15 back in this room during the Sunday school for the students. Adult Sunday school, Mike Dreps will be leading in here this morning. I, again, this series is a bit topical. I don't have text I'm going through this morning. Um, we will be looking at a few verses. We have looked at a couple times in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, so feel free to be there. Um, we'll read a couple verses out of uh, 1 Corinthians 12 um, and also Romans 12. So you can just kind of jot some of those references down. I'll, I'll be referring to another, a few other verses too. I'll have a few on the screen while we're going. Father God, I pray as we walk through this series that you are building for us a firm foundation of who we should be as a church, that the cornerstone of that foundation is Christ Jesus, and that we're built on Christ and then the teachings of the prophets and the apostles, the guidance of your Holy Spirit, Lord. May we be a church that doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk. May we trust you, Lord God, in your way and not lean on our own, our, our own understanding. May we do that as individuals and as a church, Lord, that you would make our paths straight, that you would make a way to do above and beyond our, our expectation and our understanding, that we see you do miracles among us, Lord God, and recognize it and bring glory and honor to our King. Teach us this morning. Instruct us in your way. Bring clarity where there is any confusion. Bring, bring clear skies where there's fog, Lord God. Bring conviction where we need it and encouragement where we need it. May your Spirit do His beautiful work among us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, what do you think of when I... Use the word priest. Priest. Just what's the first thing that comes to mind? What's that? Roman Catholic? Roman Catholic. Just a little quick, again, that word Catholic means kind of like it's a universal. So uh, in the Apostles' Creed, we mentioned that a while back. We talked about the Catholic Church. The Catholic um, can mean all. Roman Catholic is a specific church, right? So, okay, so some people think of Roman Catholics. Anybody else? Intercessor. Okay, intercessor, mediator, good. Football. Football. Oh, a football team? Yeah. That's funny. I'm going to actually use an illustration about that later. Um, Anything else? Priest. Okay. Okay. Tabernacle, temple. Yeah, I, I grew up. I grew up till I was about twelve years old in a Roman Catholic church. Um, my folks came to a, a saving knowledge of Christ. They gave their lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, a few years before we left the Catholic Church, God was doing a move. Um, they didn't feel like they could stay there after they uh, had learned. Um, some things about Scripture, but God was really moving upon, among a lot of people within that local church, and I think beyond at that time. But yeah, for me, a priest was was a leader in the church. 
He was single. He, he could not marry. Um, that's, that's one of the deals if you're going to be a priest in the Roman Catholic Church. He always wore black and, and wore a, a little white square on his collar. And he was, he, you know, he or they, it was a collection of, of guys, um, would be responsible for teaching and responsible for uh, the administration of the sacraments. And that's just what my understanding was of priest growing up. <clears throat> for some in our culture, priest has become synonymous with abuse. Right? For being honest, that's, there's been a lot of, a lot of abuse um, a lot of abuse in the Roman Catholic Church, and I'm sure not confined to that. Um, I don't say that to be slanderous or anything. We just know of the reports that have come out. So some people think a priest, and they think, oh, that's almost dangerous territory. It's someone who abuses. The role of priest traces much farther back in history uh, than the Roman Catholic Church or there's also people recognized as priests in the Anglican Church, in the Episcopal Church, in Eastern Orthodox churches. Uh, but the, the role of priest traces back to the ancient history of Israel. And several people have uh, noted that already. The priests of Israel had to be of a very specific family in Israel. Does anyone remember that family? Yeah, so they had to be a descendant of Aaron and specifically of the family of Levi, a tri- the tribe of Levi. So it was, a, it was a chosen few. They were primary, primarily responsible for, for teaching, instructing in God's law. And then, kind of the other side of that coin was to make sacrifices for the people when that law had been broken, along with making sacrifices of worship. A guy named Lawrence Richard Richards writes, and I I just liked how he talked about the dual nature of of the primary responsibilities of priests. He said the priests served a dual mediatorial role. On the one hand, they looked toward God on behalf of the people. On the other, they looked toward the people on behalf of God. In teaching the law, the priests represented God to the people... On, on the other, they looked toward, I'm sorry, in teaching the law, the priests represented God to the people. In coming before the Lord at the altar of sacrifice, the priests represented the people to God. And in many other sacrifices, they presented to God the worship of His people. So we're working through a series here at Oregon Hill Grace Chapel on our church values, uh, the guiding principles of greatest importance to us as a church. And we've talked about the fact that our values will drive our action or activity. Uh, We've considered our values of being Christ-centered, that Jesus must be our Savior and Lord, uh, and that we must be a scriptural or biblically-based church. Last week, we reflected on the importance of pushing back against the Uh, against treating the church as a commodity to be consumed and instead functioning as a church in the context of uh, what the Greek term refers to or describes as koinonia, a community that deeply shares life together in Christ. So we've looked at being Christ-centered, of being biblically-based, and being this community that shares life in Christ together. 
Uh, This week we'll focus on our value of being a church community that honors the priesthood of all believers. That honors the priesthood of all believers. And that might be, for some of you, that might sound strange. (laughs) Um, if If you told me that, again, when I was in the Catholic Church, that would sound particularly strange. For some of you, that might sound remarkable. What does it mean? In 1 Peter 2.9, I read last week, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And in that chapter of 1 Peter, earlier in the chapter, verse 5, he says, you are being built into a spiritual house. And he seems to be talking about using this kind of illustration about being living stones and Christ as a stone, talking about a living temple, if you will. He says, and you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A couple verses in Revelation chapter 1, verses uh, 5 and 6, it says, To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. So these verses that I just read are speaking of who? Hmm? Christians? A few Christians? All Christians. It's speaking of the entire church community. It refers to the marvel of what we have together in Christ. One aspect of that being that we are together a royal priesthood. Royal because we've been made sons and daughters of the King, of God the King, in Jesus, adopted through Christ. Now, it's important to note that in the service of the priesthood, there was a high priest. He and he alone could enter into the tabernacle or the temple with, into the special presence of God in the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And there was a lot he had to do in preparation for that. And he went in with this breastplate that had all these special stones that had all the tribes of Israel inscribed on them. And he could go in but one time a year and it was to make the blood sacrifice of atonement. And it was a sacrifice for the sins of all the people of Israel, for all their sins for that year. And the Bible teaches us, especially in Hebrews, as you read through Hebrews, that Jesus has become both our final high priest and the final sacrifice. This was a significance in when, when Jesus died, that in the temple at the time in Jerusalem, the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. And that temple separated the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, from the rest of the temple. 
But as Christ died, there was a tearing of that, of that large curtain representing that the presence of God was open to all through Christ. Hebrews 4, 14, and then Hebrews 10, 19-22, says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, Right, the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, and by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is His body. So now we see that there is significance there, that as that curtain tore, it was like the breaking of His body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us now draw near to God with, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. We're told in Scripture also that we can draw near with confidence. That in Christ, by the blood of Christ, because my sins have been covered by His blood, because He is the great high priest, the ultimate high priest, and the final sacrifice for my sin, we can draw and have recon- near to God and have reconciliation with God. So my point is here is that, is that there's no longer any need for sacrifices for sin. There's no longer any need for that. Jesus died for your sins once for all. Jesus knew how much of a screw-up you'd be today, as much as the day that He rescued you. You know that? And me too. He knew my failings on the whatever thousandth day that I'm living, however many thousands of days after I had accepted Christ as a boy, and He still chose to rescue me. And that rescuing, that saving is complete. Amen? For all who come to the Lord, all who call on His name will be saved. There's no longer any sacrifices for sin. Jesus is that sacrifice. He's also the the continual mediator through that sacrifice. He continues to mediate with God the Father on our behalf. 1 John 2, 1-2, John writes, this is Apostle John, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we get that picture of Jesus being the mediator, the continual mediator between us and the Father. The final sacrifice for our sins that always is working for our sin each and every day. There's no longer need for a sacrifice of sin, for sin. So, so then why are we a priesthood? Why are we then a holy and royal kingdom of priests? Let's think of a couple of the implications of this. First, the Bible consistently teaches that God's church community is to be made up of people that all understand themselves as active and meaningful participants of God's work. All. Not a select few. All. So, let me, let me uh, say this, that in our churches, way too often, encourage the opposite. 
encouraged and, and what, what you might be called an audience mentality. Audience mentality. We, we, too many think of church like this. Church is a building that I go to, maybe for an hour or two on a Sunday morning. And when I go to church, I, I sit and I become part of an audience. And in that audience, there's a select few up front who minister God to me through song and through the word. That's not meant to be what church is. We've learned that church, many times I said church is not a building, it's God's ecclesia in the Greek, the called out people of God. The called out people of God, God's new community through Christ Jesus. The reality of church is that it should pervade every aspect of our lives every day, who I am in Christ. It's not confined to Sunday mornings. It should be a 24 hours a day, 7 days a week thing. And never, never, whether it be on Sunday corporate worship or on a Thursday afternoon work day, should, should a member of God's church view themselves as kind of part of a detached audience of what God is doing. I'm a spectator. Instead, as I read last week out of Romans 12, 4 and 5, just as each member of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So each member of the church has a function and should function and is important to the well-being of the whole. Now for some of you that's easy to eat here, and for some of you that's difficult. Are we there already? Yeah. Not sure we're there already. I'm not sure that's where we're there already, Derek. Are we? Okay. All right. Um, you may say, on Sunday morning, I, I feel like I'm a part of an audience. That, that might be your, your honest assessment. Um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you that, that at, at Oregon Hill Grace Chapel, we want to work in the opposite direction of that. Um, now, I understand that if we get together for an hour and a half, or if you stay for Sunday school longer, not every or even should speak during that time, Right? But, but you think about basic elements of what we do together. If, if, if we sing, there may be a leader, but we are meant to engage as meaningful participants in that time of singing, right? We're meant to engage, not as an audience, but as members of one body adoring and praising God. 
together. Um, if, if, if someone is to preach, now there may be one preaching, but I am entering in with you in a time of mutual discipleship. That we should be gaining from God's word by the power of the Spirit together. And then we give time, we give time to share and give words of encouragement. And, and we hear people's story of what, stories of what God has put on their heart during the week. We take a little time to pray together. We have people on a Sunday morning who welcome. People who teach children. People who watch after children. People who give. People who serve in ways that you wouldn't even know it. And that's just on a Sunday morning, but it's not just Sunday mornings. That's just like the peak. When I go out, I am still part of God's church. And I always represent the we of who we are as a community of Christ's body. We are meaningful participants of the, of the body of Christ. And it must pervade every part of our lives all week long, at home, at school, in the workplace when I'm alone when I'm with others, whether I'm with Christians or non-Christians, you are not an audience. You're not an audience. Secondly, this meaningful participation is meant to be various and diverse. And, though, and through that diversity, working together in unity there will be wholeness and wellness in the church. In other words, the fact that it's not the same is supposed to be for our benefit. The fact that we're not the same is supposed to be for our great advantage. Uh, this is why Paul loves the, the metaphor of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 12, and 13. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized in one spirit and into one body. And Paul goes on to explain how the body cannot be one part. It cannot function. You can't all be a nose. You can't all be an ear. You can't all be an eyeball rolling around. We can't all be the pinky. We can't all be the big finger. I mean, that would be ridiculous if the body were one part. And he also goes on to talk about how some of the most common parts of the body are actually the most indispensable parts of the body. Hands, feet, stuff we take for granted. And later in that chapter he says, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now these body metaphors found in 1 Corinthians 12, found in Romans 12 are speaking of the fact that every one of us brings something different and unique to the whole. We have different backgrounds, we have different experiences, good and bad. Um, we have different upbringings. We come from different races. We come from different genders, different generations. That's supposed to be to our benefit. And then above all that, the context of those chapters of 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, is that we, come for, we have a variety of diverse gifts given to us according to the Holy Spirit. And the point is, is that we find wholeness and wellness in the church community. Diversity. 
That there you go. There you go. That's where it's supposed to be. Oh yeah. Yep. I told you you're a prophet. You talked about football already. Yeah. I I, I am a football fan, and uh, in some ways the church community. This I don't want to dumb it down too much, but just as a as an illustration, church community is like a team sport. Um. I'm a fan, and in this, this is in spite of a lifetime of scorn. I want you to pity me here, of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> no, it's painful. I don't know. And it continues to be painful. <clears throat> but if you're a football fan, some of you might know who the leading rusher of all time is, Joe Mickey. Emmett Smith. Very good. Number 22. It's my birthday, by the way, too. 22nd, so... He, so, Emmett Smith, all-time leading rusher. He's been retired for many years. He, be, he uh, surpassed Walter Payton's mark. I, I'm not sure when. but So, a lot of people know that. A lot of football fans know that. But unless you've been a Cowboys fan for a long time, you don't know a name like this. Daryl Johnston. Daryl Johnston. Myron, you know who Daryl Moose, right? So, who is Daryl Johnston? He was, he was the fullback. He was the fullback. He was the guy that went in front of Emmett Smith and, and blocked for Emmett Smith and got very little credit. He, they called him Moose, so like, like the one catch or one run he'd get each game, the whole crowd would go, Moo. People thought they were booing, but they're not. They were going, Moose. <laughs> and, and most people don't na- know names like Mark Tuanay, Nate Newton, Eric Williams, Mark Stepnowski, Larry Allen. Anybody know who those guys were? They were his linemen. They were the guys that like weighed over 300 pounds and in their prime could beat you in a 40-yard dash. These bohemists of men, I mean, you could just see just on the edge of this picture, actually on the right, that is Daryl Johnston blocking these bohemists of men that would just break open these wide gaping holes for Emmett Smith to run through. Now, Emmett Smith was obviously a talented running back. And he's the one that gets the most notoriety. But <laughs> he was only as good as his other teammates allowed him to be. If those guys weren't up front blocking it for him, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They all had to do their various jobs. For the final couple of minutes here, let's bring it back to this theme of this holy and royal priesthood, this kingdom of priests, as meaningful participants of God's work and kingdom through this, as we talked about, purposeful diversity found throughout the church both in your life experience and in your spiritual gifts, we're meant to work together for common goals. We are, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And I believe this declaration, this declaring of God's praises, of being called out of darkness into light, called out of death into life, works in at least three directions. At least. (laughs) First, toward God. 
Peter tells us that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And again, Revelation 1.6 tells us that we've been made a kingdom of priests to serve God. Through Jesus, we find ourselves in full-time service for God. It doesn't matter what you're doing, where you are, life you're at. If you're in Christ, you're in His full-time service. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher or a worship leader, or if you're a carpenter or a laborer, or if you're a doctor or a businessman, or a full-time mom, or you're retired. In Christ, you're in His service. A kingdom of priests. We no longer offer sacrifices for sin, but we offer our sacrifices of worship. It goes beyond just a Sunday morning gathering. Bowed down and surrender to God all week long. That's as Romans 12.1 says, that we would offer even our very bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God as our spiritual act of worship. So this extends toward God, but it also extends toward one another in the church. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12.7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, I need your gifts and you need mine. It's not arrogant to say you need my gifts. They're Spirit-given. If I were to boast about them, it would be like, like boasting about my eye color. Right? I didn't give myself blue eyes. I didn't, you know, be like boasting about, who would I be to boast about that? You need my gifts. And I need yours. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's teaching or, or mercy or administration or encouragement or prophecy or discernment. We need each other and the of our one more, neither one less. So the guy or gal quietly serves, the one who speaks a timely word of prophecy, the one who is just an encourager, that is just gifted as an encourager, the one who shows mercy, the one who generously administrates behind the scenes, all are needed. I need yours. And through that, together, we declare His praises. And then lastly, remember that that first quote that I quoted from uh, Richards. That priests minister on behalf of the people toward God and on behalf of God toward the people. And I believe our declaration of praise as a priesthood in Christ also has the goal to minister God to those who are yet to know Him. We have been, as 2 Corinthians 5 teaches us, given the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us this kingdom, this royalty, 
of holy priests committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. And then I always says this, he says, we are the ministers of this message of reconciliation as though God is making his appeal through us. And it's almost like he can't help himself. The next line is, we implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. <laughs> I'm not just going to talk about it. Let's do it right now. Let's not just talk about being you know, ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of God. Hey, let's do it right now. I implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. The way has been made open through the curtain, through the body of Christ, His blood shed. Be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Have reconciled. So here at Oregon Hill Grace Chapel, we value the priesthood of all believers. If you know Jesus, you're in His service as a son or king included in that royal, holy kingdom of priests. Full time. Full time and forever. It's part of your identity. And if it's your value... It'll be part of your activity to offer. If you don't know what you have to offer, start asking some folks. Seek the Lord. Get together with some folks. More obvious than you realize. Maybe it's like on the nose and your face. Like, man, I see this gift. You are not an audience. Are you offering it as a spiritual sacrifice to God? Are you God has given you for the common good of the church community? Are you offering it as a minister of reconciliation to those who do not yet know God through Jesus? You're not meant to be an audience. You're meant to be meaningful participants. Not through sameness, but in the head together finding wholeness through God's intentional diversity and unity to the glory of Him who made it so. Amen. 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 Yeah. Yeah.